Hello and welcome to the World Cinema Film Club. This is episode four and I'm your host, Edward Jones. And of course, joining me as always is my co-host, Miss, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Bonjour, c'est le professeur. <laughs> That's about the extent of your French, isn't it, Stephen? I, I'm not bad at French, but I'm not going to perform this podcast in French. This sounds so thin. Oui. <laughs> yeah. Nah. I'm going to say that a lot, especially from this film. Uh, but yes, yeah, sorry. Hello, good evening. How are you? Tonight we're going to be looking at Subway from 1985, a key movie in the cinema de look movement, and directed by Luc Besson, who was as part of his Escapist trilogy before he would obviously move on to Hollywood and redefine in many ways the modern action movie. But uh, tonight we're obviously going back to the second film in his career, um, as I said, Subway, which stars Christopher Lambert, here with the original French spelling of his name, not the Englified, uh, Anglified uh, spelling of his name, which he would obviously have when he uh, moved to the States. Yeah, I guess I guess at this moment he's Christophe Lambert, but he's going to become Christopher Lambert, mate, when he's in Highland. Mm. <laughs> um, here he plays a safe, a thief and a professional safe cracker, who, after stealing a bunch of documents from a big-time gangster's wife, uh, finds himself pursued into the Paris subway system where he finds a new life for himself. Soon sent him upon, soon setting his sights on setting up a band while also forming a connection with the gangster's wife who has been on his pursuit since. This is a film, as I said, as part of the Cinema de Look movement, a movement of uh, cinema which followed in many ways of the French New Wave cinema and focused on style of a substance and spectacle of a narrative with key directors of the genre, not only being Luc Besson, but also Jean-Jacques Bignoc, who also gave us Betty Blue and Diva, and also Leo Carax, who did uh, Boy Meets Girl, as well as more recently Holy Motors and Annette. The key films, obviously, the cinema the look movement can be seen as doom love affairs, friends as family, and a cynical views of view of the police or authority figures, with the Paris Metro often appearing as this symbol of underground or alternative culture, which is certainly very much the case that can be seen with this film, with sees that sees uh, Crystal Lambert here playing Frank, who's really finds a new life for himself. He descends into the subway system, which it's labyrinth-like uh, forms as its own little society they're running beneath. And meanwhile, the an inspector is very keen to capture many of its residents while sending his bubbling lieutenant, known as Batman Robin, to try and uh, apprehend the thieves that are working the tunnels and break up this group, which Frank now finds himself a part of. So, opening thoughts on this one, Stephen. I think this was the first time watched for yourself as it was for myself. Yes, it was the first time I'd seen it. Although, I remember when it came out, and I remember some of the visuals. There's a, there's a scene, isn't there, where uh, Frank is finding his way with a, with like a fluorescent light bulb. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, like it's on the old isn't it? Walking, th- walking through. I... I, I that's right. So I, I remember the poster. I remember at the time it got very mixed reviews, didn't it, if I remember rightly. But I do remember this sort of cinematic movement. Um, and probably at the time I'd have liked it more because I was really into Miami Vice and that kind of sort of slick 1980s espadrilles and 
frosted hair tip kind of thing, so I probably would have liked it more. It's funny, really, you say, like, Miami Vice, because you can see, like, the Americans who obviously took notes from this movement. Mm. I mean, you look at, like, Coppola's One from the Heart and Rumblefish or, like, Fassbender's Lola. Yeah. They're very much like the American adaptation of the cinema to look movement. So, like, looking at it going, oh, I could do that. Well, I think they're probably eating each other because they're fairly contemporaneous aren't they but uh, but i do remember betty blue of course betty blue i bloody loved and went to watch that in a i think i've told you before in a uh all-nighter a betty blue with blue velvet double bill in some cinema in portsmouth when i was That's a student a um mind-blowing cinema i know most students have like the betty blue post on the wall yeah i've never I, seen the movie gu- guilty i had i had the beatrice style poster um but I have, I have, I can say I've watched it twice. Um, that's a depressing moment. And anyway, thoughts on this is, um, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of Luc Besson. Right? Although there's a couple, oh, really? of, there's a couple of his films I really do like. But mm. on the whole, I do. Well, I think you can probably guess the two films of his I like. <laughs> it wouldn't be very hard. On the whole, um, I, Leon I, and Valerian City of a Thousand Planets. No, um, I, I, get, I love that movie. So I, 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 I like I like La Femme Nikita, and I like um, oh, right. I like um, Leon, obviously. Yeah, um, my mum likes Leon, but I thought Isabel Adjani was amazing, and all her outfits were amazing. But apart from that, I it wasn't awful, and it wasn't offensive. It was just very shallow, and it's got a quite impressive opening and a kind of interesting end, but in the middle, it's just lots of walking around and talking, and all the characters are as shallow as their names. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, but I didn't hate it. It's really, it's complicated. It's just, it's not complicated. I just, I just found it a very surface level movie. Certainly didn't offend me. Okay. I mean, the opening sort of sets up a false tone for the film, really, because we have this really sort of like exciting car chase where we obviously see Frank hurling down the Champs-Élysées in his Peugeot 205, which, as someone whose first car was a Peugeot 205, I can tell you that's a pretty cool ride. Uh, well, I because have to when say... I was in... <laughs> Carry on, but... I was just about to say, when I was in college, like, if you were a cool kid, you had a Peugeot 205, or you had a Ford Fiesta, or if you were, like, uh, like one of those indie kids who, uh, listened to a lot of Reef, you had a Mini, which you could just sit and watch Rust in front of you. <laughs> well, my, my age, it would have been a Fiesta one Poplar, Fiesta Poplar 1.1, and there'd be eight of you in there, minimum. Um, <laughs> I, I watch quite a lot of French cinema, and... There is something rather special about French because of the nature of the French car industry. Yeah. <laughs> you always see these weird looking Peugeots or Citroën or um, Renaults. But I don't know. They just. It's a very insular car industry, isn't it? And there's like. You know, the 2CV is probably the classic one, but. Yeah, a little pokey Peugeot or a, um, a some Citroen 96 or something like that. Oh, it's a Saab was 96, or Citroen Dauphin or something like that. They're all just like weird shapes. And whatever era you watch 
a French film in. Even if you watch a yeah. French film today, or if you watch a French film from the 60s, like I watched, what was it, The Bride Wore Black the other day, and there's just, just these weird little cars floating around. And we've watched, um, what was that Truffaut film we watched? Fahrenheit 451. Oh, yeah. That's got funny little French cars floating around, pretending it's the future. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, this was, this is like, here's a, here's a crime thriller, but we're not going to drive in big speedy cars. We're going to drive in a little student run around. That's the kind of thing, isn't it? And they're all in, they're all in dinner, dinner jackets. Um, so there's this kind of sort of stylish look to it at the beginning. And like you say, it's, it's doing a bit of a down the Champs-Élysées and it's, it's all very iconic. I just love that the way that opening shots seen the shot because it's obviously when it gets into the the finale of it it's very it's very apparent that this is just like a reference to the French connection mm. uh, the fact he's like driving the subway but like when he's like hurling down the road and he's there like putting in the cassettes and he's singing along and it's all like yeah you go Frank and you see this way this two o five like rocks back and forth down the road and I can tell you it's a as I said a two o five owner. When that car goes above 80, everything rattles in it <laughs> and it becomes really scary. It will go past 80, but you feel that you're going to like go back in time, something like it's a DeLorean. Um, so the way that that car's like swerving around the road, it's like, I can tell that's very realistic. I mean, the gangster obviously chasing the Mercedes and they're ramming in the back. And you had this great scene where the guys that are doing this joggers like doing pull ups on the bar and he like pulls up and he sees the car coming towards him and he pulls down like, the Peugeot launches over him, and yeah, again, Peugeots, you can ding them, you can roll them, and they still keep going. So the fact he launches that Peugeot uh, and still keeps going, I can say, is very true to life. But I, it sets this weird tone, because you think, oh, wait, we're going to have this, like, real sort of all these action beats and that, and it doesn't. They just has this one action beat at the start, and then, as you said, it descends into interactions between characters and just a series of moments and weird um characters being introduced and having interactions with each other and in many ways it becomes like Besson's writing his version of Alice in Wonderland like we can look at each of these characters and much like with uh Paul W. Sanson's Resident Evil you can assign different the different characters of Alice to the characters in this film so Fred's obviously Alice the descent into the subway is the rabbit hole. The roller is the right rabbit. The florist is the Cheshire cat. The commissioner, the Red Queen. I mean, even has his own like March of Cards entrance when we see him like jumping down the stairs with all the police behind him. Um, and even like the drummer, you hear played by Jean Reno. You could say it's like the sleeping dormouse because he's just always asleep unless he's drumming. So. Mm, I don't know if you. I hadn't. I hadn't saw that at all. I hadn't. I hadn't taken that analysis, but yes, I mean, he even goes to a tea party. Yeah, no. Now you say it, it's 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 fucking obvious. <laughs> but yes, I I hadn't got that at all. But yes, I get it. I think. Yeah. I think. Um. I think the letdown is it's just that world underground isn't weird enough for me. Right. Okay. I think that's. I think that's my problem. I think. I, I mean, there are there are other films with similar. Well, obviously the Alice in Wonderland thing is the other, the other films with the, with that idea that you go into this weird underground world and, you know, you can imagine if this is a Guillermo del Toro film, everything would be weird and twisted or something like that. Whereas, oh, so something like uh, Barker's um, Nightbreed. 
So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that. I mean, obviously, that's at a more darker end of it. Is, but you know, <laughs> yeah, here, here, there's some buskers down there, and one of them, there's a, there's a there's a pickpocket who wears roller skates, and there's Jean Reno has got some drumsticks, and there's a the florist guy blackmails people. Well, he makes them. deals. He's like yeah. obviously making deals, and he's like beams away at people. He's like. This uh, this this presence who sort of like plays both sides. Mm. I mean, Roller's played by Gene Hughes on Glade, who, as a Betty Blue fan, I mean, mm. I you would have been more excited to see him. But he also played Marco in Nikita. Uh, yeah, for he sure. He's, wor- in... he's worked a lot with um, he's worked a lot with Luke Besson, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, in in of itself, the 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 character, the idea is fine, and there's a you know you know. What, what's he called? Roller or something like that? Or the roller yeah, skate? all the characters are basically named after the... the, the, what, the what is they do? Like, he's Roller because he's got roller skates. He's Drummer because he drums. It's yeah, like, and very that, on the nose. But that, but that is their entire characterization. I think that's my problem with it. Now, to be fair, right. that... Um, that character is really kind of interesting. And that adds... There's a lot of humour in this movie. So there's a... Um, there's a there's a there's a there's a subterranean police force down here that look after as there are you know British transport police and all that we yep. have that in this country so there's a there's a sort of world weary senior detective and uh, and his uh, his uh, little little employee well there's two of them isn't there but there's one he calls Batman because he lives in a cave and all that but which spends his time trying to capture Roller and he's been months and then the um, when the main detective gets out from behind his desk, catches him in about five minutes of going out there, and there's some sort of this is lovely deadpan. He's probably my favourite character, the, the the police detective fella. He does get all the best lines in this. this he really does, doesn't like... he? And he's so French, right? They just you know he does things like he sits on the metro eating a baguette with cheese in it, a, a cheese but and ham, just... cheese and ha- a cheese and brie baguette. And you can see there's no mayonnaise in it. It's just it's just the most French thing ever. And coffee, you know. He says, "Oh, this coffee shit." I just can imagine it. Just it just it hears so gloriously French in the in the stereotype ways. But it's fine because obviously this is a French film. But oh, he also uh, drinks on the job when he has yep. the uh, meeting with the florist, and he's sort of like he's like, "Oh, we have beers," and it's like they're drinking like the middle of the day. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we have the um the the station controller who here played by Ron Murray from Sparks. Mm. <laughs> Does look like him, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's not actually him. <laughs> but it would be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would not surprise me if it was him, but no, it's Jean Boisier. Um, who plays it plays him and he's another great character. He doesn't really say much, but he has all these great like he does all his acting with his facial expressions and he's like constantly amused because him and uh him and the commissioner have this like antagonistic relationship with each other where like the inspector's like constantly throwing his weight around. He's like this authority figure. And at the same time that the station uh controller just like just like looks at this Okay. You carry on. I'll just keep making this trains run on time. So, but yeah, his um, his little uh, lieutenant's Batman and Robin, which I wasn't sure originally if it's like a sarcastic thing, it's sort of like a, a demeaning thing. It's sort of like these two bumbling cops of Batman and Robin, and 
No, they actually refer to themselves as this is Batman, this is Robin. Yeah. And yes, they are idiots, but they they somehow refer to themselves as Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of clever little. I mean, there is there is humor in this film, sight gags, and there's lots of sort of like 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 say the 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 sort of I'm trying to, they're not really script gags are they but there's little sort of name bit puns that's that's what it is it's a sort of little punny bit so there's there's a lot of a lot of that going on and i think that's when the films that it's most successful i think it's it's least successful when Christoph Lambert cosplaying a sting <laughs> Which, well, he literally was. <laughs> so. Yeah, because Singh was originally going to play the role of Frank, mm. but he was tied up doing June and doing his tree bothering solo career um, at the time. So he couldn't do the film, and they brought in Christoph Lambert, who was, I mean, this was like his, I think it was like his second film or something. He was still very new, and here he is getting like a name leading role. Um, the amusing thing about Christopher Lambert, he's got an eye condition, which means he can't see without his glasses, so he often does everything pretty much blind. Right. And here he is with the, like, the blonde hair, and as I said, he spends a great deal of the movie in, like, the dinner uh, jacket. Mm. Uh, which is a really cool look, and I kind of wish that he'd stuck with it the whole way through, but he does sort of, like, change into, like, Islander trench coat by the second half, which was a, kind of a downgrade, and it doesn't really have... The same sort of shift in character when we look at Isabel Agini's character, who spends her time like down in the subway world, and then when she rises back up, she realizes that she can't be no longer part of like this high society world that she was previously part of. She spend her herself spends like this the first half of the film and then like, this this really nice sort of like uh, gown, like she's just come from a dinner party and she's. But uh, the relationship she has with this uh, gangster is where she's basically like the arm candy. And when she returns to the subway world, you see her like this dinner party and she's like got this new wave punk look. Um, and she's just like they're basically like shitting on everything that's, that came before. It's, it's kind of like you're watching like Pretty in Pink for adults in many it's... ways when you watch that scene. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not totally sold on Christopher Lambert period i don't find him a terribly engaging actor i mean obviously i really I love, didn't like I, him as raiden i love hot i love highlander but it's not for christopher lambert um no i've just had a quick look at his he's been in a lot of films he has he's, and uh... and and he's not been a lot of in a lot of he's been in a lot of genre films <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> yeah he's in southland tales he, I knew, I saw that and thought, oh, no, I know, I bet he's Elwood's favourite. Yeah, um, he plays an arms dealer who works out of an ice cream truck and has that uh, great line. It's like, get the fuck out of my ice cream truck. Um, but on the other hand, I do find um, Isabella Gianni, who plays Helena, who's, um, I find her quite beguiling. And I love all her hair and makeup. Like you say, she starts off. With all this extravagant ball gown and diamonds in her, and her hair's amazing. But every scene, she seems to be in a new outfit, and she looks amazing in every single one. She's a kind of really, I mean, she's a kind of really interesting actress. But she's, to me, the star of the show. My problem with it is, I don't really buy it. <laughs> Just 
<laughs> she's this this guy nicks her stuff, embarrasses her, says he likes her, and then they go and have they they have a have a little bit of Mary Jane down in the um subway and suddenly she's a changed person, she's madly in love with him. Um and I think it's surprising just... really how the subway system works in this world, isn't it? <laughs> so like you go hang out in the subway system where you get to sleep on the floor. Yeah. You don't you don't even get bed. Jimmy Noga is like got the best setup because he's got a hammock. Mm-hmm. Um but he still has to sleep next to the roller sweaty roller skates that are hung up by his head. But yeah, you it's not like a it's not like this uh this world where they put any effort in. It's still like this this sort of grimy world where everyone sort of like goes there because they get to be who they want to be. Um but there's very little sort of setup there. I mean, we obviously get to see Big Bill, who's just like the big bodybuilder guy who works on the railroad, who's got like his gym down there. Roller, who's obviously got his uh, skates with the lights on, which are pretty cool, and spends yeah, and his he, life uh, he, stealing he, handbags. Yeah, he's like a pickpocket, isn't he? And Jimmy and, um, Reno's drummer is just cool. Mm. Um, yes. really less cool by the time we get the band formed at the end, and they're all in like looking like. Um, Explorers from the Lost World. Oh, they're in like Boer War outfits, aren't they? It's like, yeah. um, that isn't like, like what Don Estelle wore in It Ain't Half Hot Mum. Like... Pretty much, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was really weird. So, yeah, so I guess, yeah, so so he goes down there. Um, Fred gets down there. He's he's hot, both hiding from Helene's um, husband and his gangster friends but he's making friends with the this underground society who also go up to parties and stuff above ground for some reason he gathers together a bunch of people who can like buskers and stuff and he forms a band although yeah. he he doesn't sing in it or play any instruments he just sort of gathers no. them together and and then she falls in love with him and then there's this going to be a big showdown which never really happens and then the film and then someone dies and then the film ends and i don't know i just normally i'd be all over this 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 sounds like an art house film doesn't it you know that 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 time everyone all these people lived underground in the metro in france and they formed a band yeah. i think i think that sounds like a steven special film but this, I just don't know. I just, I didn't give a shit about anybody. Is it because the plot is sort of like very abstract, if non-existent in this film? It is just really, as I say, it very much embodies the style of this movement. There's a lot of sort of style and spectacle but you, here. But, but you this... think of the think of the films I've put you through on the Asian Cinema podcast sometimes, where there's. They're right art housey, and there's a bit of lack of plot and stuff like that. And I'll I'll defend it to the cows come home. I think it's I don't I don't I don't think it's the plot. I just think it's the characters are so thin. Um, just they're yeah, nothing. Certainly. They're nothing more. The Jean Reno character, for example, Jean Reno is just cool, right? And mm. he's cool in whatever he does. And he can clearly handle the old drumsticks, can't he? I didn't get the feeling. There was a stunt drummer at play for a lot of the stuff he was doing. And he barely says a word. And he looks so young in this. So, so young. Um, But I know nothing about him. 
He's got no... I mean, he may have backstory. I may have forgotten. They may have talked about it in exposition or something like that. But... Um, no, no, the guy that you talked about, the bodybuilder. What's his name? Bill? Yeah, Big Bill. Big Bill. Yeah. His backstory is he works on the railroad. I mean, and he performs the function of... You know, he's a plot He's a plot device to get some handcuffs off somebody. <laughs> but he does also appear at the party. Um, and I just think, I just think there's lots of. It's almost as if this it just needs a bit more fleshing out. And but I do think this is a problem with the whole cinema de look movement period. Yeah, it's it's people whose lives aren't too bad being fucking miserable in France with with some quite glossy, well shot albeit very mid-80s cinematography going on. And like you say, very similar to similar movements in in the States and other places at the time. Uh, it just... I ended up buying it on Blu-ray because the version I was able to get hold of, the... Um, the speaking wasn't in sync with the. Uh... Oh, there was a weird. I don't. Again, this was someone I wanted to ask you about because I got the DVD version and like a lot of the action sort of sequences. If things were moving at speed, this is moving at hyper speed, and I wasn't sure oh. if it was the transfer because I know there was a lot of problems with the transfer here. Oh my! Um, my my copy I had just the 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 sound was out of sync with their mouths. Yeah. And sometimes when it's a foreign film, you don't mind. But no. I think because I have a vague understanding of French, it it really put me... So I ended up... I mean, luckily, it only cost like £2 secondhand, you know, one of those yeah. things, and it came in time. And again, it's a lovely-looking movie. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go and throw it away or anything like that. We'll use it as a, as a paperweight. But it, it is very much... It's so of its time. It's scrubbed up well, but it just looks... There's just movies in the mid-80s kind of look like this, didn't they? (laughs) Like I said, I said the Miami Vice thing. It's just... Which I think is contemporaneous with it as well. And the... The the sort of the music as well. I didn't I didn't find this... uh, There's some songs in there which are quite good. Like the the guy when he sings in the band, he's got a really amazing voice. He's got a lovely voice and the band's quite cool. But then this sort of... The incidental music just sounded like... Someone's so found is, a um, synthesizer. This is Eric Serra, who does the right. soundtrack. He was a regular collaborator of um, of missile. Um, right. And um, he also did the soundtrack for Goldeneye, which was really diversive. Mm. Um, and they actually, there's parts of it, such as like the tank chase, that they brought someone in to re-soundtrack, and he actually got replaced when they did Die Another Day. That's um, what I remember. I remember now. I've watched a video about that. Where they, uh, and talking about yeah, yes. It's very sort of diversive, the sort of soundtrack, because like, sometimes he does like really phenomenal soundtracks when you look at things such as like Fathomant um, or like, The Big Blue. And then other times with this, it's like very, very sort of abstract, but he does actually turn up as the bass player in this movie. Ah, uh, is he now? Okay. Um, so you see the guy who's like at the, the uh, finally step playing the bass. <laughs> um, and the blind, uh, uh, you know, you got the blind um, saxophone player. That, of course uh, you do. That Frank finds. There's also an accordion player who's also blind who just randomly turns up and does nothing at the end. <laughs> um, 
But there's something about this about the, that I've always liked about the cinema look movement. I never cared for the French New Wave. And if you listen to obviously to the Asian cinema film club, you know I'm a big fan of the Japanese new wave. So things like oh. um, uh, Shinsu Suzuki's films, and things like Branded to Kill and uh, Tokyo Drifter. I'm a huge fan of that. So my yeah, tastes make no taste sense at all. And I and like films yeah. with strong visual style, which is why I like things such as like um, I'm a big Richard Kelly fan. Mm, well. You're, you're, you're the man who likes Southland Tales. You're I love Southland Tales. I burn bridges, ruin friendships, defending <laughs> that movie. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, we've spoken many times over the years, and I know you don't like the French New World. You're no fan of Truffaut or Jean Luc Godard. No, or you, Godard yeah. and stuff. And I think the problem I have is that those films, a lot of them, especially when you get into things such as like Simple of the Devil or Weekend. You need to have a history degree to, or some context because mm. of very much of the period because they're so like politically minded. But you can see the echoes of that period within the French New Wave. Certainly in the, here, the whole like plot line of, you know, boy meets girl, girl betrays boy, boy gets shot. Um, that's yeah. very much of the New Wave, isn't it? So, uh, which, and, and that, that, that's, that was what surprised me because I thought this isn't too far different to something from French cinema in the 60s. It's filmed differently. It's in colour. It's it's very 80s. You know, the guy's got bleached hair, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I didn't... And, and the camera work is very different. But I thought the story-wise, this, if this had been in black and white and, the, and there was a jazzy soundtrack and... Yeah. And maybe the cinematography was a little bit different. It could have easily been something like that. I don't know. It's um, I'm probably not as versed in this movement. And like I say, I've I've watched a few Luc Besson films. I've seen Betty Blue. Um, but not enough to say, oh, that's a movement I really enjoy. Um, which is a shame because I do I, I quite. I don't. I don't think French cinema is a is a cinema that I watch a lot of. Obviously, oh, really? obviously, we watch a lot of Asian cinema, and that covers a lot of a lot of different things. And I watch a lot of Spanish language cinema, but I do watch some French films, and on the whole, I normally enjoy them. But I don't think it's a cinema I'm. I probably watch it if someone says, "Oh, have you seen this film?" Mm. And I'll I'll go and watch it, but I there's not directors I follow, or I haven't got a selection of DVDs from a particular director or actor or actress, um, which I probably have for lots of other countries or directors or even actors. Um, it's really it's interesting weird. to obviously say that because I said in a different timeline, this would be like the French. Yeah, it is. It is because... weird, isn't it? Though I don't really follow french cinema because there's so much of like french cinema that like was like because i would say i like watch a lot of asian cinema, a lot of hong kong japanese oh. cinema um because obviously that was like a lot of the things i was sort of into because of obviously being like godzilla and kung fu and anime and then french cinema used to be on a lot in like late night channel 4 and you have things such mm. like sitcom uh taxi and i don't know whether it's the dialogue is very pleasing to the ear, like compared to like german cinema which is very 
very abrupt, shall we say. Um, and it's got a very, it's a, like a German cinema, very, like the later German cinema, it's very sort of like, um, got a very sort of aggressive edge to it. Like, obviously, I understand, like, the early stuff, like the Expressionist period, like, where we're looking at things like Metropolis, is a completely different argument altogether. So that stuff's very, very good. But, like, with the French cinema, I just, just, whatever I saw, like, related to French cinema, I just couldn't get enough. And you have, like, as you said, you recognize people such as, like, Vincent Cassel, um, um, obviously, Jean Reno, um, Gerard Dapadou, who I'm, again, a huge fan of, even though, like, Luke Besson, he's got a lot of scandal surrounding him at the minute, so... Mm, well, we can't win anywhere. It's funny you should say about the language, actually, because I think I've said before, the reason I like Korean cinema yeah. is that I love the language. It's so sing-songy. Even if I don't understand it, there's something about the way people talk it. It 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 just sounds nice, and French does sound nice like that, even if they're just saying fuck shit bollocks, which is <laughs> quite a lot of what is going on in this film. Um, it is nice, and just to hear two people speaking French is just nice. So again, I just I just don't know why. Maybe it's just too overwhelming. Because okay. I guess I guess being an art house guy, obviously a lot of, sort of art house cinema came from France. Yeah, yeah things like all the writing and stuff that occasionally over intellectualizes film comes from places like Truffaut, like the magazine Cahir de Cinema. Oh yeah, of course. So yeah. So my, I mean, I have got his book on Hitchcock, which is interesting and shows two people coming from completely different places, but completely in awe of each other's work, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I, d I really don't know. Um, I'm not, probably that, ugh. I mean, Italian cinema, probably, I've watched a lot more of that. It's, yeah, it's weird. Don't know why, but I think, I think I should like it more. Italian cinema is another interesting beast altogether. I mean, obviously mm. it leans into the exploitation side. As they basically looked at what the Americans were doing, it's like, oh, we can totally do that. So much more extreme. Um, I mean, um, Italian cinema does have those. It does have sort of that classic um, artsy side thing. Yeah, because like you it. obviously have like Fellini uh, mm. um, and things like Nine and a Half and, and these um, sorts of movies and Bertolucci and people like that. And and then you have this wonderful stuff. I'm, I love Giallo. I love that kind. Of, I mean, you have the spaghetti westerns. And you've got Polisi. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I'm sure French cinema has all that as well, but. Well, French just... cinema, obviously, after this movement, the next big movement we have is the new extremity movement, which obviously gave us films such as like Martyrs and Frontiers, uh, Inside. Uh, yeah. Well, it's another interesting era, which obviously follows on from it. And I think this is the thing with French cinema itself, like they have this moment where they're just like at the forefront and then it quiets down and then they come back with another movement that's at the forefront. So yeah, I guess you've got people like Gaspar Noé, haven't you? And, exactly. Um, and I did really enjoy, uh, Titan who the person who did that also did raw, didn't they? That's she did. French, yeah. isn't it? Yes. So, so there are, again, I just, I don't know. I, individual French films. I like a lot. <laughs> it's just, I, I just don't a... connect with it as a as a genre. Yeah. 
we've got uh, many more episodes to go and many more genres to explore. So you will, you will. This um, won't be our you... last jaunt to France. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah. Um, a few other bits I want to bring up. I mean, we obviously, uh, when it came to the soundtrack, they sold over 100,000 copies in France. So they're obviously big Eric Serra fans over there. Um, yeah. The only soundtrack that uh, Eric Serra didn't do was Angel A, uh, which was instead scored by the Norwegian singer-songwriter uh, Anja Gombrek. Um, uh, yeah, it's... Everything else um, Sarah was like brought on, and I said to some of these movies, it really works, and other times it just feels a little too abstract for myself. Um, Jean Hu's Anglade um, would go on to be in Braco, which is probably the only foreign crime drama you need to watch, and if you haven't done already, just watch it. It's phenomenal. Um, he would also um, be in Roger Avery's Killing Zoe, which is another American oh, film God. which borrows from the cinema to look movement. Um, that's, a f- that's a film I haven't thought about for a long time. I know, I keep trying to find like <laughs> an excuse to revisit it. Um, so I'm trying to line it up on one show in this network that we were looking mm. at Killing Zoe because Roger Avery as a, as a writer is very underrated. I mean, he did Silent Hill. He um, obviously did the adaptation of uh, Rules of Attraction. And he's a really knowledgeable film guy. If you uh, listen to the... Um, the video archives podcast he does with his best friend Quentin Tarantino. He's so knowledgeable, but again, he's a very sort of highbrow cinema fan when you listen to his tastes and how he chooses to describe films. He's very much a cashier's to cinema reader, it would seem. Um, but his daughter, Gala, uh, also works on that show. And she's a delight. As I said, this is the first film in the in the um, unofficial trilogy of like escapism, so obviously with Big Blue, it's about people obsessed with the deep, and Nikita, it's obviously about Nikita trying to escape her life, both uh, as a street punk and later as a government assassin. So, I think, as I said, the two films right there that I think are definitely going to show up at some point in this uh, this podcast history, uh, mainly because I'm just big fans of both. Um, I don't know, but did you like the Maggie Q? Nikita show. Oh, I've only watched a few episodes of it. It's fine. I mean, we've talked about the femme Nikita. Obviously, has spawned all kinds of imitators and copies. We had the Maggie Q TV show. We had the Assassin with Bridget Fonda, which, um, and then all the way through to things like the Korean film The Villainess. Um, that one we watched fairly recently. The Assassin. Has a bit of. Um, no, 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 no. Um, we didn't do a show on it. The one where the middle-aged lady's an assassin. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The um, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but Pure yes. Boxan. So yeah, and the Black Widow movie is like the Black Widow character. Is, I guess you could say yeah. Well, the Black Widow character probably sort of started off comic book wise as sort of a Matahari kind of thing, but absolutely. That 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 Femme Nikita has absolutely created a little subgenre all of its own <laughs> to, 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 the, to the point that when I reviewed Barbie Princess Charm School, I was disappointed that it wasn't <laughs> a Nikita for 
nine-year-old girls. It was a very different movie. To, but yeah, um, what else has he done? I mean, there's other things he's done I just fucking hated, like Lucy. Oh, you didn't like Lucy? Oh my god! He wrote. I mean, he did a lot. He's done a lot of writing as well. I mean, he did like. Mm. Um, he created the Arthur series. He did. Um, he did. Yeah. He created the Taxi oh. movies, which also gave uh, us the Pleasure Four Hundred Six as my dream car. I <laughs> owned for a period until uh, the. Oh, yeah. You, you, you are Mister Persia. I've just remembered why I hate Luke Besson. He did direct a Fifth Element. Did the fifth oh element, my god! How can you hate the Fifth Element? I, there's only there's one there's one thing I hate about it. Yeah. Right. Chris fucking Tucker. Oh my god. That is the most annoying character ever put to film, and is <laughs> one of the oh my god. And when Chris Tucker's character got shot in, oh, what's is it a Tarantino film? Oh, in uh, Jackie in, Brown. In in Jackie Brown, I fucking applauded at the cinema because I felt that was revenge for what I had to sit through in The Fifth Element. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, there's lots to love about The Fifth Element and I think it does deserve a rewatch because um, I think it's a really visually interesting it's like, film. It's a, like um, Very much of its time. It's just Mobius like exploded off the screen, isn't it? It, 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 it? it is, and it's a really brave, interesting film and... Uh, Mila Jojovic is uh, iconic in it, and even Bruce Willis in his in-between days parts of his career is is kind of interesting. But Chris Tucker, what the fuck? So sorry, Luke Besson. I really, I think I've just realised that's what it is, and that's what stopped me liking your movies. I, I mean, Lucy was just dreadful. But um, it's still funny you mentioned like Fifth Element because if you look on the IMDb trivia, like yeah. for Luke Besson. Every time he like gets married and stuff, they state the age gap. So he obviously married Miller Jove. He uh, got he hooked up with Miller Jovanich while he was filming for Element. Yeah, and it was all like they they note down there's like there's a ten year age difference between them. And she obviously left him to uh, marry Paul W S Anderson because uh, yep. when they started working on Resident Evil, um, so she, she she's got a um she's got a. She obviously likes her directors, doesn't she? She likes her writer-directors <laughs> of uh, yeah. Potter. Potter says Sanson is just... He's such, he's such a delight. It's hard to hate on Potter Sanson and the fact that what he did with the Resident Evil movies, he turned him... He, like, just took in his own direction. His early films are so interesting. Because if you go over to Movies and Tea, our first season was on Paul W. Sanson. Mm. And we, like, trying to, like... He's got such a distinct visual style. And like when he's not making Resident Evil movies, there's so many great, interesting movies that he's made, like Soldier, and he did obviously like Event Horizon, and he did uh, Shopping, which features like the last time Jude Law and Sadie Frost were cool. Did he direct that? Did he? Yes, he did. The movie about ram raiding, which Mm. is a British movie, so we could cover it on the show. Isn't um, Johnny Lee Miller in that as well? Pretty certain he is. He might not be actually. No, no, no. But, yes, Johnny Miller didn't come into um, Train Spotting. Okay. Yes, boy. yes. I was wondering. I was wondering if we could do British films. Yeah. For, for a future one. We are. Did we got this? Because I feel that British cinema as a whole. I think we're at the point now where we're sort of like we we have seen as that we produce a sort of cinema that sort of shuffles around the slippers and is there to win awards mm. and be fancy or. 
But um, there's a lot of really interesting British cinema that we will obviously bring to the show that I think a lot of people forgot. So, you know, like the 70s, a lot of Ken uh, Loach stuff, things like, you know, like The Devils, or we can, like, look at the folk uh, horror movement and things like Blood on Satan's Claw, The Wicker Man, uh, Long Good Friday. There's just a host of, like, British cinema that I Kez. think... Yes, Gregory's Go. There's a host of British yeah. cinema that... Uh, I think it I think it's probably really a sub- cool until Stephen decided to put his ideas. Yeah, no, I um, yeah, I'm, I've often thought about a British cinema podcast and it's an, anyway. Let's get back to France. Let's get back to but no, we with Subway. <laughs> I think this is a movie that you would be understandable if you didn't dislike it. It is very sort of abstract. The past is very minimalistic, and at times it's incoherent. There's a horrible middle section where Frank and I can't remember her name now. Helene. Helene is sort of like hooking up and the whole film sort of grinds to a halt. And up until that point, it'd been like sort of interesting conversations with Frank being brought into this like train heist job. And it feels like the way the film's going, it's like, oh, we're going to build up to this. The florist is setting up this train heist, um, which does happen. I give the film that credit. But at the same time, we have Frank setting up a band that he's not part of and can sing. But he has these moments where he tells stories, which gives us the impression he's like schizophrenic, um, like the moment where he like threatens Roller with a uh, with a gun, and uh, basically gets him to like guess whether one of the three bullets is actually in the chamber when he pulls the trigger. Oh yeah, that that really that's just a really inconsistent moment. Frank shows no. That just seems completely atypical for the character that we know before and after that scene. It's yeah, very strange. Which sort of like gave me the impression, as I said, is he schizophrenic because he has, as I said, these moments of like violence and rage, like we see at the start, and we obviously see in that moment. And other times he sort of like last things off, he makes jokes, and he's sort of like this really agreeable sort of fellow. And then he also have moments where he'll drop stories in, such as like um him being involved in a car crash when he was a child which means he can no longer sing and she sort of sees through it and goes how much did you pay for that story and he just smiles and at the end we see him like he gets shot and he's like dead and he like suddenly sits up and he starts mouthing along to the song because to be honest if you made it that far in the movie you're willing to buy it at that point i guess <clears throat> yeah i do feel again that's the other thing. The ending felt a bit sixth form. How are we? Oh no, we've written this story so far. How are we going to end it? Oh, we'll just shoot somebody. It's supposed to and be then like just this end. tragic and, and, thing, and, and isn't it? So, it, but it wasn't tragic at all. It's like, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I've just remembered another film of Luke Besson. So I like, I like the lady with Michelle Yeoh. That was really good. Oh yeah, that's Although, very uh, kind of forgotten. Much like her in Sunshine. Mm, yeah, she's she's really good in it, but it's a really. I mean, obviously, he made it thirteen years too early, and the story had not finished yet. <laughs> but um, the, the the character that she's playing, it's uh, has not has ended somewhat differently to how the film ended. But yeah, but so he is capable of like, a very restrained, very interesting, and allow the performance to take over. I mean, let's be fair. This is his second film. That's um, true. 
I mean, he's not exactly at the height of his powers. I mean, he's not like when he comes over and like makes things like Leon. I think this is the this is I think after this is when he really sort of hits his stride. When you're looking at it, it's like Big Blue, it's Nikita, Leon, mm. um, and 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 this was probably made on peanuts, right? This is made on. A, a, a few are they in the they are are they in the EU yet or is it still made in France I can't remember um, probably actually made in France actually but yeah it's not a high budget movie it's it's got an interesting cast some of these people will go off and do other things in fact everybody will won't they you, <laughs> will go you look at the uh, bigger and better things you look at the cast and they do all go on to do like really interesting things Lambert goes on to obviously become a a character actor and uh, for a short period uh, sort of like a, a character of note you know obviously comes to be on to be everyone's favorite Frenchman and when you have a look at other actors in there and you realize that they obviously go on to do other things but it really depends on what you watch like Isabel Ajani uh, Ajan goes on to do things like Nosferatu the um the remake isn't it with um his name? Bum, 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 bum. We've covered one of his films. Herzog. Herzog. Yes, Herzog's Nosferatu. She's in. Um, what else is she in? Diabolique, which was remade with Richard Gere and Sharon Stone. Um, what else? Well, she's in lots of things. Did she marry some famous people as well? she's an interesting character but she's really good in this but yes the other you know but we've talked about some of the others i mean jean reno became he, he is mr default frenchman he is in western movies he is basically the james wong of james hong james wong who's hong. the 90-year-old yeah, chinese that is hong isn't it it's he's 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 the James Hong of Frenchness. He is. I got very excited in the original Wish Impossible when he turned up. Mm. I did watch on your um, suggestion. I did watch um, the Godzilla movie that he was in, and he was a lot of fun in that as well. But, um, um, we'll talk about that in another show. Michelle uh, Galapro, we've obviously gone to do things such as like Brazil and the Magic Roundabout. Mm. We was the voice of Zebedee. Oh, okay. I'm sure that's not like the real sort of standout on his filmography, but... Yeah, it might last forever. He's got like some 600 credits here, so, you know. Mm. Take away from it what you will. Uh, but, no. Um, myself, I, I can see myself going back to, to look at this film again and perhaps enjoying it more now I know what to expect. Um, there is just something in in the film that is just so visually interesting. It's just a shame that it has that weird moment, as I said, where it focuses more on 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 their relationship than the antics in the in the subway system. Um, and I think that's where it sort of like lose, loses me for a moment. And I think as I said, once it gets back on track and focus, gets uh, back to the florist getting things on track, and obviously with the inspector closing in on their little group and I think it became a lot more interesting again. And certainly the lead up to that moment was really cool as well. Just like I said, just like the way that he goes into this 
this world and all these questions like the audience have are just always dismissed but they somehow resolve themselves so it's like what do we do for food and it's sort of like dismisses it mm. I mean now you've given me this um, way of reading it through Alice in Wonderland okay I think I'm I feel, I feel like I've I do need to revisit you know this is like <laughs> myself maybe. and Dogtooth like when I watched Dogtooth, I didn't really get it. And I did a, a podcast with Lackey uh, mm. on it. And it was sort of like, it just like clicked into place. It's like, oh, now, now I get it. It's supposed to be this weird. Mm. Um, but that that does give me a framework to... Enough way to look at it. Enjoy, in, to, to enjoy it in a different way. But I, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's five out of ten stuff. And actually, that's not a bad review for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't hand out the five stars very often. So yeah. Right. Well, that brings us into tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do check out our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, um, which you can find the complete archive at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And our Facebook page, in particular, is uh, normally pretty active, and we have some fun discussions. Uh, with the good folks who hang out there, so. But Stephen, it's your turn to choose where in the world, like Carmen Sierra and Diego, we are going to next. <laughs> well, um, another new wave. <laughs> okay. Another cinematic new wave um, was the Czechoslovakian new wave of the 1960s. Um, interesting bunch of directors working under sort of you know the rush the russians invaded and there's all sorts of interesting political stuff going on and some one of those directors left czechoslovakia and went to hollywood and ended up making some of my favorite films of all time um yeah, this director made one flew over the cuckoo's nest this director made um amadeus um and also the people versus larry flint which is a film i like but Probably he's not as high up on his thing. Um, so it's Milos Forman, um, who you know made his name originally as a as a director in in his homeland of Czechoslovakia, or Chechia, I think as it's known now. Um, so there were a few of his films that I could have chosen, but I think I'm gonna go for one I haven't watched yet. I've watched some others. Um, it's known as The Fireman's Ball. Okay. Um, so Czechoslovakian comedy. Um. Could be a challenge for us both, but uh, like I say, it's, it's a director who's made some of the films I really love most in the world, uh, especially sort of those first two that I mentioned, uh, One Flew of Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, and so it'd be nice to see his early days. I don't know if you, um, I don't know what you, if you're up on Milos Ferman or, or Czech cinema. Uh, not Czech cinema, but I have seen One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, which I really enjoyed. I think that's a real stand-up performance from Jack Nicholson. Um, mm. Although I remember the ending devastated me so much I never watched it again. Um, <laughs> People vs. Larry Flint I've also seen. Um, and I also know best for um, the the uh, song Courtney Love. Um, which has yes. a great line. Um, I, I felt kind of queasy when you fucked William Housen in the jacuzzi. And uh, you bird your show, soul and shoulders your hole. <laughs> which is Neff Herder yeah, who did that song Courtney Love so yes uh, he also directed Hair which is 
Meatloaf was part of. Did he do the film? Did he do the film version of Hair? Did he? He did. Yes, of course he did. Yes, after one for those cookiness. Um, there's another. F- oh, Man in the Moon as well, which is all right. <laughs> I think that's um, it's one of those films where Jim Carrey. So, so you don't like Man on the Moon? I think it's just a, a man doing an impression of things oh which you can watch elsewhere. My <laughs> gosh. I'd rather watch Taxi than watch Jim Carrey pretend to be in Taxi. Have you seen the Vice documentary they did about the making of Man on the Moon? No. It's on Netflix. Uh, called right. Jim and Andy. Oh, I have seen it. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Um, yes. It's weird. Net- Vice made it and sold it to Netflix. Mm. Um but yeah, there's also um, a Tales from the Territory episode about uh, Andy Kaufman, his um, short spell in wrestling, which is also really fascinating. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, he's a crazy guy. Um, but anyway, yes, we, we we diverge. We'll um, we'll go back to the mid mid sixties first <laughs> and see what things were going on in there. We might have to uh, we might have to get our history books out so we understand half of what's going on, but. Let's fight him. Yes, you should. You should find that on the Arrow player, I think, because um, I think it was released by Arrow. Well, I soon find out. Recently. So. Mm. Oh. Well, that's obviously coming up on our next episode. Um, so make sure you join us for that. But um, again, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host Stephen. Pleasure as always. And join us next time for the Fireman's Ball. Until then, good night.